Everyone needs a safe place to talk. You are here today with Grant and Laurel Fishbook, and we are passionate about the messiness of authentic conversation. From hard questions to difficult responses, this is a risk worth taking. There will be a whole lot of laughs, maybe some tears, and everything in between. Join us as we continue the conversation to gain understanding about ourselves, others, and the Jesus we love. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad that you've chosen to be a part of this conversation today, and that's exactly what it is. It's a conversation between friends, and I'd like to welcome three different audiences. First of all, everyone in the room, glad that you are here. Those of you that are watching online, so so glad to have you part of our church family. And to those of you that are listening a little later in the podcast format, we're so glad that you're here as well. So I want to let you know kind of how this is working. You sent us questions. So these are not our questions. These are the questions that our church asked us to respond to. We don't promise to have answers, but we do promise to respond to the very best of our ability, which means this. You're going to get an opportunity to be really gracious today because as with all of our podcasts, these guys have no idea the questions that are coming their direction. So they don't get a chance to prep. They just have to go, Okay, I'm going to roll with it. Trust God, and here we go. We have talked about racism already this weekend. We've talked about gender identity. We've talked a little bit about politics. This has not been like light, fluffy, what's your favorite color kind of questions. This stuff has been intense all the way through. So if you have a seatbelt, that's awesome. You might need it as we're going along. Let me just introduce our friends to you today, which I'm so glad to be able to do. This is Molly Martin. Molly's part of our Ecclesia team and does an incredible job with discipling young people through Ecclesia. Next to her is Dietrich Grimes. Dietrich is a church council member here at CTK. What I love about Dietrich is his wisdom and his love for God's word. He loves the Bible, and that is just awesome and fantastic. Next to him is Drew Young. Drew is our communications specialist. He looks after our, a lot of our online and social media stuff. If you're watching online, you've met Drew as one of our service hosts, and so glad to have Drew with us. Then we've got Jeff Butcher. Jeff has uh, been a part of a CTK small group. Uh, he and his wife Paula are what we call touchpoint connectors who love on our pastors and look after them as well. Jeff was actually a guest with his wife on our last podcast. We talked about transitions and all of us are in transition. If you haven't gone back to listen to the last one, that would be a great place to start and you can listen to all the others. And then of course, the lady next to me is uh, my wife Laurel. Laurel is our moderator, our host. She guides the conversation as we're going through. And so we are so unbelievably glad that you are here. And I'm going to turn it over to Laurel. And here we go. All right. We have had a good time here. Uh, You guys sent in fabulous questions. And I think it's especially fun for me because all I have to do is ask them. (laughs) But you you gave so much context with your questions, which was fabulous because it kind of lets us understand what your question is. But for the sake of time, I haven't been able to tell the whole backstory. So just know that I've done my best to maintain the integrity of your questions. But number one, Drew, you are on the hot seat. On the hot seat, Drew. Okay. First question. I'm a bartender at a restaurant. As much as I feel like I'm going against God by making people drinks, I feel like I'm there for people when no one else is. I pray with people, give lots of hugs, and I make people feel like they are important. I truly feel like I am doing God's work. I feel like he put me here because people need to see God, and I hope that they see him in me. But I still can't help but wonder. Gosh. I I think truly like I think I've learned God uses you wherever you're at 
Like, he does call you to places. And, and look, like, we know Jesus was the kind of person who went where other people might not go. And so, like, honestly, I think it's a picture of Jesus to be in that place, to be willing to step out and into something that might not be comfortable to meet people where they are. Like, I think, I think it's, it's so real to encounter people in their brokenness, to encounter people in all kinds of places, um, even if that might not be the, the, the most comfortable, the safest place to be, I think that really is going where God has called you to go. And I think that, like, the reality is you have a ministry. She has a ministry in that space. Like, whoever you are that asks this question, like, you have a ministry there. Like, God is going to work through the conversations that you're having. Like, Imagine a person that walks in that may have never experienced Jesus that gets to hear the name of Jesus through your story, through your testimony, through the job that you work in. Like the places that we work are not by accident. The places that we live and work and go, like God has designed all of those places for his purpose. And like there is an opportunity in every situation. Absolutely. I agree that there's a, uh, an opportunity in every situation. I agree that God put... Um, put you, and then, uh, thank you for asking that question, in, um, in that place. I believe also that there's a responsibility that you have. Uh, you have a responsibility to your patrons, you have a responsibility to their safety, their health, um, and we, we had a question yesterday um, around boundaries, and you know that there's a lot of responsibility on you to set those boundaries, and uh, that can come in conflict with my, with what might be the expectations of your job. So um, pray for you on that piece, because um, um, I, I think that God again has put you there for a reason, but um, has also put you there to watch over His flock in in a way. So. Absolutely. You know, I, I look at it through an interesting lens because we are a recovery church. And I honor my brothers and sisters who are in that battle for recovery. I also love the honesty of, of seeing this. And um, I know there's some people who would just say, well, Jesus turned water into wine. We're good, right? Um, which is true. Let, let me share the other side of it, which I think is good. So we had a young man in our church who was working in a local store. And then his boss decided he was going to start selling pornography. And he had an issue. I, I can't do that. And so he prayed about it, actually walked away from his job. He made the decision to walk away from his job. And God honored him with another job, which was fantastic. So I think there, there's two different mindsets. There's one mindset that says, there's certain things I just cannot do as a believer. And there's another mindset that says, I want to be a missionary. And, and I want to go into places. Paul went into some very difficult, dark places with the name of Jesus with him. And so I think we have to weigh that that as we walk the, and navigate these things, the question is, can I carry the name of Jesus with me? And we either need to have a missionary mindset or a mindset that says, I simply can't. And that's where good wisdom, discernment comes in. And, and having that conversation with Jesus over a long period of time, God, I want to honor you in everything I do. Weigh that and then stand on that conviction. Well, and I, I think too, just the in the world, but not of the world, right? So if yeah. you can see that clear distinction, and honestly, if you can see the fruit of what God is asking you to do, mm -hmm. that's when you know, too, that you, you are where he wants you to be. So there is, there's a fuzzy, a fuzzy line there for sure, but um, if you are, are truly, truly taking advantage of that moment and saying, no, the answer isn't what you're holding in your hand, it's in Jesus, and you're praying with them, there's other people around that are seeing that, too, and yeah. wanting to know a difference. So I think it's going to the other side of it and, and 
you know, is it really making a difference? Absolutely. All right, Dietrich, number two, here's the next question. There are ma- there's so many things I see as of the world right now. Gender pronouns, gender fluidity, fluidity sexuality, identities, abortion, tolerance versus acceptance, big judgments and ideas about vaccines, etc. These are big issues for people. How do you navigate loving, not judging, and being Christ-like without becoming enabling and compromising what the Bible says? That is one loaded question. There you go. (laughs) So I I think the first thing, wow, that is a lot. Um, The first thing is to acknowledge that we do not have all the answers. And because we don't have all the answers, it's not... Um, wise of us to assume that we can have or make the the right decision or or give the right word on um, you know a lot of these topics you know so I would encourage to and we talked about this a little bit earlier um, you know speak in groups speak in uh, in community um, get get input from from brothers and sisters and of course always base everything in base things in the word and uh, in the in the uh, the commandments of, of Christ in the Bible, um, it's again it's just too much for one person to, to wrap their arms around. And you know I would you know, try and try and segment these things out, understand where, where where God is talking to you as an individual, where God is really really tugging at your heartstrings on on certain issues, and and and. Delve deep into the word on what they say about those. Speak to your pastors, speak to your small groups, um, and and really base you know your approach um, on these topics in um, you know in Christ-based, in um, Bible-based responses. Uh, it's the part that, of your question that really really stuck with me is how to how to love, how not to condemn, how to, how not to judge, and, and that. I really appreciate that you're coming at it from that view um, because you're putting love first. And anytime that you can do that, you know, you have a strong foundation on how to address the rest, um, which again is, you know, through a, you know, biblical and through a Christ-centered community. Yeah, and I would, oh, I would just reiterate something Molly even said last night, like, a lot of these issues are secondary to relationship. Like the question of how do we navigate this? Like we navigate this through relationship and conversations and dialogue. Like then when you actually get to talk to somebody face to face and have a conversation about some of these things and seek to understand. I mean, I think there's that scripture says like seek to understand first, like meet people where they are and have those conversations. And, and, and I think when you approach things relationally, it changes your perspective on everything. Yeah, I think most of us have this question, I would guess. I mean, I can't speak for all of us, but I think most of us have this question of, I'm in tension with navigating different beliefs, different understandings, and how do I maintain my values as a Christian and love people? And I think um, start, start with what your convictions are and live those with integrity. So if you, if you know what you believe and you know who Jesus is, like live that out with integrity to the fullest. Um, and simply by doing that, you are going to model Christ likeness to people. You are going to reveal Jesus to people. And also you're going to 
stir up like division. You're going to stir up um, questions. You're going to stir up uh, conflict because that's, that's what happened with Jesus. You know, he says in scripture, I have come to bring division, not peace. At one point he actually says that. And he doesn't mean that he came to divide believers, but that simply by who Jesus is, is divisive. Like who Jesus is, is going to cause questions. He's obviously the Prince of Peace. That's his vision, that's his mission. But who he is, is going to cause people to ask questions, to challenge, to wonder. And if you start there with living with integrity and in, in who you know Jesus to be, um, people are going to see that. And if you're more concerned with others' behavior than you are of living like Jesus, people are also going to see that and are going to experience the fruit of that. And so start with what you have control over, which is your pursuit of Jesus and living like him, which is really hard. <laughs> Yeah, and there was a part of that question that you asked that you know, we, we touched upon, but I want to really address, and that's how do I not enable? And I think Molly just hit the, the, the nail on the head as far as live as Jesus would want you to live. And you can still be loving without being enabling of you know, some of these, these areas of concern. Just be the example. Yeah, I think Jesus showed us the tension. We were talking about the woman caught in adultery story, right? Here come the Pharisees with this woman caught in adultery. They throw her in front of Jesus and they, they had a, an interesting angle. God, you wrote the law. We're actually following the law that you laid out. If you were caught in adultery, you were supposed to be stoned. That's what the law said. And Jesus, instead of focusing on everybody around, focuses on the person right in front of him. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, anybody else got any sin in your life? You, you, okay, you can chuck the first rock. Hmm. And everybody stops. And then the rocks fall. And I love what happens afterwards. He said, well, where, where did everybody go that was condemning you? Oh, they left. Neither do I condemn you. That's grace. Now go and leave your life of sin. That's truth. Jesus navigated the tension. And if we're following him, it helps. It really does. And I think it's important to just to define that divisiveness too. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. anger and you can make different choices with someone, but over the umbrella over top of all of that is love. So um, you can pick a different side or a different lane, but it doesn't mean there needs to be this hostility towards people because yeah. God led with love all the time. Yep. All right, Jeff. This is the question for you. My husband, who is not a believer, asked me this question. How do you know that the story in the Bible is the only truth? Oh, okay. Yeah, there's no easy questions for anybody here. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Um, say the first part of that again. So I'll read the whole question again. Okay. My husband, who is not a believer, asked me this question. How do you know that the story in the Bible is the only truth? Well, um, I know what Jesus said, and Jesus said he is the truth, and he's the only way. Um, To me, the choice is this. If you take what Jesus said, you have three options. Either you take him at his word, and that's called faith, or you would say, you're just simply crazy. (laughs) The claims that you're making, you know, that you're the Messiah. Or you could say, I think you're just lying. So to me, those are our three choices, and I think all of us here would say we, we believe and take Jesus at his word, 
that when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that nobody can get to the Father yet through me, we take that as what he said. And I believe that's what faith is, believing that what God says is true. Um, can we 100% show something, evidence, physical evidence? I don't know that we can, although there's a lot of physical evidence and archaeological and historical evidence yeah. that would back it up. Um, so to me, it, it's not a stretch based on all that I've seen in my years on this earth and how God has moved and the things that he's done in people's lives and in my own life. Um, that's my answer, and I'm sticking to it. That's oh, good. Okay. That's good. Anybody else? I mean, I remember talking to you guys about your trips to Israel and just being so mind-blown to actually hear about these places that exist, like places I've heard about in Scripture that all of a sudden we have this conversation, you're describing this as, as you've seen it, like in real life, and it became so tangible. It's like, whoa. And like, I think it'd be so cool to, to take a trip like that someday to, to actually be able to go. But these are like real places, like the yeah. places in scripture, the places that Jesus went and talked about, like these are real places that you can actually go. And I think that's so cool. Uh, there's, a, there's a book that came to mind when we were talking about this, uh, The Case for Christ, which was basically this, this guy who set out to disprove faith. Like his whole premise in writing a book was like, I'm gonna disprove Jesus. And at the end of the day, he's like, I can't. Like this is, I know this now to be true. From his journey to set out to unbelieve, he found himself believing, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, for me, I, I've, I've always been in, that, in the camp of a, of a level of skepticism when it comes to these things. And so I love apologetics and I love tearing it apart. But one of the ways to respond to this is how do you know that the story in the Bible is the only truth? They have proved to me that it's not. And we'll have a civil conversation about how that goes. Because if you look at the, 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 the philosophical test of time and how the word of God has been protected over thousands of years... Um, there's, there's the test of authorship, the test of historicity, the test of archaeology. Uh, there's the ontological arguments for the existence of God. It, it, is, it takes a lot of faith to deny all of that. Absolutely. I think it actually takes less faith to accept that Jesus was who he was and that we have attached ourselves to that belief knowing that it's okay to ask those kinds of questions. What I love in this is the fact that a husband so loves his wife that he would actually trust her with that kind of a question and I think it would be so important for us as a church family to be able to pray alongside and say God will give you that answer as you are walking through but the best thing is the story of the Bible right now is living inside of that relationship in the form of the wife that God put right in front of her husband that's where the living Jesus is in that conversation well and I think just to say you know add on to that it is it's it's Jesus he's alive you can't have a personal relationship with a God that's not alive. So part yeah. of it is just what you're experiencing too. Like, press in, try, pray, and God will answer you. And that's where the truth is, is, you know, what, what he speaks to you too. It's not all just the facts. And the Bible will come alive. Mm -hmm. If you actually cry out to God, he's going to answer. Yeah. Molly, this is the question that was sent in. I think it's... it's uh, well, they're all, they were all sent in. We kind of point, um, pointed them at different people, but this, is, this one's for you. As an immigrant, I would like to know what makes CTK different. Why should immigrants feel safe here? And why does the Bible, what does the Bible say about foreigners and hate? Thank you so much for asking that question. I imagine that took a lot of courage. It's very personal to your 
story and your identity. So I just wanna say thank you for asking that question. Um, I think, I hope what makes CTK different is that um, we believe that you are valued and valuable because of your ethnic heritage. That we believe that that is part of the image of God in you and um, that that is what makes you who you are and that that is not something to be um, pushed to the side or not talked about, but that's actually something to be honored and celebrated. Um, and so I hope that that is what you experience here um, and that that is what you feel when you come to this space, when you worship here, when you talk to this church body, um, because that's what we believe. We believe that, that you are the Imago Dei, the image of God, and that you are celebrated for who you are. Um, and I hope that that is your experience and when you come here that that you feel that from from this church body mm. I think there was another part of that question I don't know if, if you want to uh, no I, I think you answered it and the reason too well it said what does the Bible say about foreigners and hate mm -hmm. so um, I feel like hate yeah yeah what does the Bible say about foreigners and hate yeah that's a pretty big broad question <laughs> um, <laughs> I think the what scripture says is that we welcome the foreigner that we honor that like experience that we are here to um, make people safe make home for people um, what scripture says about hate um, that you know I mean these are pretty big ideas but that we are to love people that like we are to lead with love and I know that these this feels kind of cliche even saying that but um, it's but it's true and it's true yeah. and it matters and if we can live that out and truly embody that um, that the per like if we as a church body can do that welcome people with love um, put hate aside no matter what we think then the person who's asking this question will be experience CTK as different, if we can embody that as a church. Yeah, agreed. You know what the, what it, the Bible says about hate? It says, hate evil, hate sin, love thy neighbor. And your neighbor isn't just across the street, your neighbor isn't just, you know, from Fern, Ferndale to, to Bellingham, your neighbor's on other sides of the border. Yeah. Your neighbor is across the ocean. And one thing that I truly love about this church is our partnership, our sponsorship, our love of our brothers and sisters in churches across the world, whether it be um, Sicily or in Kenya or in Belize or in Thailand, those are our neighbors, those are our brothers and sisters, and we love them in their homes, and we would welcome them as, as this as being a place of refuge if they made this their home. Our, our, our brothers and sisters are, are not defined by uh, country lines or and obviously not by the color of our skin. Yep. Uh, and they should be welcomed here just as, as well as they are in wherever they may be at this point in time. Yeah, yeah and I, I think the coolest thing about like our global partners and seeing our missions partners on the other side of the world and seeing the way they worship Jesus and the way they love and, and the way their church expresses love for God is like, what can I learn from your culture? Like there's so many things you can learn about Jesus from your experience with new people and new cultures like it's so incredible to know that like the way it looks for you to to worship the same God that I worship on the other side of the world like may look totally different and like what can I glean and what can I learn about my own relationship from your experience and I think that makes it so so rich yeah I was reading in the Herald there was actually an article that was there about actually his name's Stephen Shetterly and I know Stephen personally he's from Bellingham Covenant Church 
and he's helping um, sponsor um, specifically Afghani refugees in order to be able to relocate here. I read the article and I thought this is a great portrayal of, of the heart of what God is. But if you read the comments underneath of it, it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking to hear people from our community, the level of vitriol that came out of that against people they don't even know. They don't even know their story. They know nothing about families who were literally running for their lives with children in, in their arms. The level of vitriol, and I thought the only answer to that is, is Jesus, yes. who actually said in scripture, and it was a command, welcome the foreigner. Welcome the foreigner and find a place in order to provide refuge because it was the grace and love and mercy of God that found refuge for you when you were a foreigner to God's holiness. That would have left you out. Instead, God said, I'm gonna welcome you into my family. And so we have to weigh and, and, and carry all of that. God is very, very clear about our role as believers and uh, we need to take that seriously. Yeah. yeah, something we talked about last night is I know it can feel um, sometimes like social justice and Christianity are um, in contrast to one another. And, and I would encourage us around this topic as well is to ask, what does God care about? Despite what, uh, what we've heard, what, what um, political leaders are saying, what these ideas are, what does God care about? And God cares mm -hmm. about uh, God cares about people being safe, being protected, being loved, being seen, having food, having water, having a place to live. Like God cares that our needs are met. So good. And, and that matters. Yeah, it's great. Well said. Okay, now I'm just going to throw questions out at you. So you grab whatever one you want. Do you have any advice or thoughts for someone who's come back to Christianity and a relationship with Jesus after an adverse experience with religion? first thought is yay <laughs> that's awesome yeah right yeah wow um it seems like we don't hear enough of those stories yeah and ctk i believe is a place for people in that search um i don't thank goodness we're not a place for people who have it all figured out and please understand we're not up here because we have it figured out <laughs> We struggle, we're real people. Grant and Laurel are real people. None of this is easy for anybody, but I do know this, life with Jesus is better than life without Jesus. Yeah. And I'm so thankful that this person um, has navigated their way back to Jesus. And I suspect there was a church or a body or a group or a friend that was instrumental in that happening. And I would hope that all of us, um, those around us, we're not condemning them, we're not shunning them, we're not pushing them away because they don't think like we do now, but we're part of their story, we're part of their journey in helping them come back to Jesus, because that's so common, people like that. Yeah. Look to the parable of the, uh, the prodigal son. The, the father threw a party, he celebrated. Hmm. Heaven is celebrating every time that someone comes back we should do the same. We should, it shouldn't just be, oh, welcome back. I haven't seen you in a couple of years. Uh, where you been? It should be a embrace. It should be joy. There should be joy. There should be tears flowing because you are so happy that a brother or a sister has returned. And whatever it, that adverse um, reaction or adverse experience was that 
that made them decide to leave, we need to overwhelm that with the joy of the welcoming back. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the contrast in the question, coming back to Jesus after an adverse experience with religion. I think you'll always have an adverse experience with religion. Yeah. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. Like, like I think say. the idea of coming back to Jesus is what, what it's meant to be. Like, I think we all get wrapped up so easily in the religious experience when Jesus is like, I want to be with you. Like, can we have a relationship? And like, that's the sweetest thing. So I would say like the answer to the question is partially in the question. Like, come back to Jesus. Come back to the Father. Don't run to religion. Don't run to all of the, 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 here's the thing to do. Or church. Yeah. Or church. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I love the contrast too, Drew. You picked up on it because like, Bring your wound with you. Absolutely. Jesus can heal that. Absolutely. Bring uh, your questions with you. Jesus can answer those. Yes. Bring your lack of relationship with you because Jesus can do that and we can be a part of that relationship too. The tension and I mean, it just, <clears throat> one is just so much, relationship is just so much better than religious check boxes and it's so beautiful. So we celebrate, whoever, whoever sent that in, we celebrate that with you today. That's good. Okay, moving on. How does someone know when a marriage is doing more harm than good? Searching scriptures leaves me with more con- leaves me more confused, and I haven't received a word from God yet. Well, that's real. So we want the three singles to answer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you may not be married, but you you witness marriages, right, and relationships because it's not just marriages that can be unhealthy. It's relationships as a whole um what are the warning signs if i was speaking to this person face to face my first reaction would be are you in counseling are you seeing a marriage counselor if not that would be my recommendation Um, there are professionals um, if you attend ctk i would say get a hold of a staff member and get connected Um, They will connect you with with Christian counseling, marital counseling. To me, that's the place to start. Mm -hmm. Um, Without more context, that's a a deep and difficult question. Yeah, I think I would start in the place. uh, when When I see the word harm, I'm like, okay, so let's understand something. God does not expect you to stay in a relationship where you are being harmed. Ever. Ever. You need to be safe. You deserve honor, love, and respect. So let's define harm first. If the harm, um, and, and it, it's so difficult without knowing the context underneath of this, but apparently this person is searching deeply and they haven't received a word from God yet. So I would start with this word. Um, first of all, no one should be harmed inside of a relationship. And then secondly, help us understand what it means to walk alongside of the relationship. There are, there are tough times in every relationship. There are difficult seasons that you go through. You can grow out of that, but the question for me becomes right away, I'm, I move into the pastoral mode, which is just like, I don't want you to be harmed. So let's talk about what harm is and what isn't and know that, that God can work all things for the good, but sometimes he needs to do it apart before he can do it together. That's a tough one without a little bit more context. Anybody else got anything on that one? All right. I really wanted to hear an answer from one of you. <laughs> How do you trust in a God who does not prevent, lessen, or shorten the suffering of his children with terminal illnesses? 
That's heavy. Could you read it again for us? I'll read it again. Yeah. How do you trust in a God who does not prevent, lessen, or shorten the suffering of his children with terminal illnesses? Yeah, man, I just, again, these questions we have to remember are so personal, and I'm just thankful for people to have the courage to ask because what I hear in this question is, I'm in pain and I want to know how to trust God. And I think all of us have asked that at some point, or if we haven't, we will in the future, of I'm in pain and I don't know how to trust God. Um, one thing in, in my life that I've experienced when I've been grieving or been walking in really difficult, painful situations is um, remembering how God has been faithful in the past and knowing and trusting that he will continue to be faithful in the future. Um, and that doesn't mean the pain goes away. That doesn't necessarily mean that God brings healing to the person that I want to experience healing. Um, but when I've lost someone, when I've seen suffering, has God been faithful? And I have to ask that, and I have to really ask that and not just accept it as true, but ask that and, and pray that the Lord would help me see that and then pray that the Lord would help me trust that to be true in the future because uh, God is faithful in the midst of suffering. God is faithful in the midst of, of death and illness. And it is not easy to believe that. But for me, what I've experienced is trusting how God's been faithful in the past and helping that give me the ability to trust that he will be faithful in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would throw this in. Um, first of all, suffering of children in any form. Um, I mean, that should break all of our hearts. But I believe God does heal and can heal and lessen and shorten anytime he chooses to. And he does. Um, we need to tell more of those stories probably. Um, but when he chooses not to, it, to me, one of the most difficult things about being a Jesus follower is the mystery of God. Yeah. And the, the answers that we want and the way that we think in our own finite minds and to live pain-free lives, I'm so guilty of that. Um, things are such an inconvenience, and why did that happen? And I don't want that to happen, and that's hard. God, why? But being able to, to trust God in all of the that mystery to me is the most difficult thing that I've encountered in my years of, of being a Jesus follower, but it's the right way to, to go about it. And I think what you said, Molly, is so good, reminding ourselves of how faithful God is and the ways that we've seen him be faithful. Yeah. And, and thank you for that, Jeff, because you articulated what I was trying to, <laughs> you know, uh, what I was thinking through as far as the, the our narrow scope and our narrow understanding of what God's plan is. And God may, um, has or may have uh, shortened or lessened, um, and we may not be able to appreciate or understand that. Uh, one other thing um, that I wanted to, to add was, how does God manifest his love through us and our support of those who are in such a difficult place? You know, God's love is manifested through the medical professionals that are doing everything that they can to, re to reduce the the pain or, um, you know, reduce the suffering or make the comfort greater. The brothers and sisters who may just come to sit or 
bring food or, or you know, provide maybe not, yeah. they can't provide physical comfort or physical healing, but healing in, in emotional or mental ways. God is always there and he's always showing his love through us even in these times of, of difficulty. Yeah, and we've only got, we've only got about five minutes left, but I'll, I'll keep this super short, but it is, a, it is a choice to trust. And I have seen people choose not to trust God and walk through illness and the futility and the pain is, is magnified. I've seen people who have chosen in the midst of it to trust God and I see a grace that shows up in ways I don't understand. I will never forget Victoria. Um, had the privilege of doing her memorial after a long battle with breast cancer and memorial, actually Victoria's daughter Rhonda goes here still to this day. Um, I went to see her at hospice house and sat down at her bedside and I sat quietly and I, I heard her singing and she was singing, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. And I thought, okay, here's a daughter who's being covered in grace, wrapped in pain and morphine. That's the reality, but she's choosing. And God used her pain to bring purpose to my life in that instance. And we've experienced a lot of pain in our own family. We've lost so many family members. But to watch the ones who've chosen, I'm just going to take Jesus by the hand and walk this out. And how they've ministered to the nurses and the doctors who cared for them and people asking them questions, where is your peace coming from? It's, I have a savior. Jesus is actually my doctor right now. And he's treating me eternally, not just temporarily. So, hey, last one. Last one. What do you do when you disagree with your spouse and... Do you and Laurel, and me, <laughs> still go on a date? I guess this one's to you. <laughs> okay, what was the first part again? So it says, what do you do when you disagree with your spouse? And do you and Laurel still go on dates? <laughs> do, we, do we still go on dates, Grant? Answer we, that question. Not as often as we should. In front of everyone. <laughs> it was like, yeah, answer it. So do we go on dates? Yes. Has, has COVID slowed that down? Yes, but that's no excuse. And I repent in front of my entire faith family <laughs> that I need to take my wife out this week. So yes, we will do that. The first part, what do you do when you disagree with your spouse? Um, we just never disagree. We never disagree, <laughs> ever. We live in marital harmony at all times. It's perfect. <laughs> um, so first of all, I think it's good that couples disagree. When I hear couples actually say, like, we never fight, I'm like, then there's something wrong. Yeah. Somebody, somebody's pushing something down deep into their soul if you don't disagree. It's important. Um, I had an email yesterday. In fact, I answered it this morning. Um, uh, it was a, a couple that was actually disagreeing. One wants to be vaccinated. The other one doesn't want to be vaccinated. I'm not going to open that can of worms, but that, that's a real disagreement. That's a real disagreement. And the question is this. Um, how do we disagree well? Um, Dr. Les and Leslie Parrott call it, how do you fight the good fight? Which means when you walk away from a disagreement, you walk away intact within your soul. And so, you know, what do you do when you disagree with your spouse? You try to find common ground. You try to make sure that you are still living the commands of scripture, which is husbands love your wives and wives respect your husbands. That, that is, those are commands of scripture. So you start at that particular place 
and you stay in the conversation. You don't just say, no, I'm done, forget you, I don't care. You stay in the conversation because that's actually the place of respect and love. Uh, I think it's healthy to disagree. I think one of the facts that's healthy about this conversation is you are welcome to disagree with anyone up here. You can go, no, I don't agree, that's okay. The Bible says you're actually supposed to stay in relationship with that person. You, you wanna know what I'm tired of? I'm tired of people disagreeing and then saying, fine then, and the relationship is over. Yeah. That's not godly, that's not biblical. You owe it to your brother or sister to say, okay, how can we stay in this, even if we end up not agreeing on a particular topic? And so, you know, the beauty of today is being able to say, I may not agree with you, but I still see Jesus in you. And I hope that you'll see Jesus in us. And I am so grateful for four courageous people not knowing the questions ahead of time that would come and share this with us. It's so good. And I'm super grateful to be a part of a faith family that has room to have these kinds of conversations. You would be shocked at how rare this actually is. It's really rare. We just don't do that. So thank you for taking the risk. Thank you for listening in on a live podcast. Um, if you'd like to find it, you can actually find it at Continuing the Conversation with Grant Laurel Fishbook. It's available. Um, we've done, what, eight episodes so far? Eight episodes, and we'll be, we try to release one about every month if we can. We'd love for you to listen in on the conversation because it's just another way for us to talk. We believe that not all of church should be a, di- a monologue. We actually think it's healthy when it's a dialogue, and that's awesome. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're out of here. God, thank you. Um, for this opportunity to be together in this moment. God, thank you for responses. Thank you for the questions. And God, for every person who asked one, I pray that they would feel heard and seen today. God, thank you for a family that loves this kind of stuff, even when it may make us uncomfortable. We thank you that you are the one who steps into the center of all of these conversations. And we give you praise today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Have a great weekend, you guys. God bless you.